Welcome to another episode of Mysterious John Podcast. I'm Andy Gallivan. And I'm Anthony Hyde. And together we are Mysterious John. Yes. <laughs> it's been about four or five months since we've done this. A little bit of time. Yes, but we are Purgatory's Finest, which is ironic for this because uh, this is our topic. We're talking That's, about Purgatory. Yes, yeah, the place I will make a home in someday. <laughs> for all my high school and college ways. Oh. <laughs> like it's changed. Hopefully baptism helped you with that. And we have our other co-host, Sarah Negri, who's able to make this episode. Hi. Hi. How's it going? Good. Good. Glad you're back. She brings like the nice balance of like goodness to the episode. That's true. We have to behave when she's here. Yeah, we're a little rough for us. Pretty sure if I show up to heaven and like you corrupted Sarah, I'm like, oh, I'm going to hell. Yep. Okay. (laughs) I know the directions. Just head south, right? Yep. Got it. It'll be a ruck march going down to hell. Like, oh. That'd be rough, man. It would be. Ironically, going to Stairway to Heaven. All right. Um, That's a Fort Leonard joke. Anyways, and we have with us Father Gordon, who does the, uh, well, confessions after the show for us. Exactly. Taking care of business. And with that, we're going to play our jingle. All right, welcome back. So, this week's episode, we're talking about purgatory, and we're going to uh, dive into some personal revelations from mystics who have gotten people to visit them from purgatory. Before we start that off, uh, we will just kind of touch on a few things. So, purgatory, defined by the Catholic Church, and you can find this in the Catechism, is a place where uh, people who are going to eventually end up in heaven go. is technically a layer of hell, but the idea is it's temporary. So you go there to get purified. It's basically to be held accountable and to get rid of the sin that you're still attached to because once you get to heaven, you're supposed to be perfect, and it's the perfect place. It's also what I like to with people who struggle with, okay, someone does something evil their whole life, and right as they convert, they, they die, but they just get to go to heaven. It's like, well, potentially, but... Purgatory is a place where God can say, okay, yes, you did convert. You're going to receive my grace and my love. You're going to be united with me. But first, you need to atone for the evil that you did. And so they still get basically the cleansing and as well as the accountability, if you will, with it. Um, and I know that's a big catching point for a lot of people when it comes to God is, well, how do evil people get to go to heaven? And so, well, first, they have a very unpleasant trip to purgatory. Now, we don't guarantee everyone goes, but some will. Um, and then from there, we have some biblical references for it as well. So it's not just something a bunch of old guys in weird funny hats came up with. There's actual scripture. So if you start in the Old Testament, you can look at 2 Maccabees 12.46. Now, if you're Catholic and you try to explain this to a Protestant brother or sister, just know that 2 Maccabees isn't in their Bible. Um, so it's not might not be the best starting ground, but it says, It is therefore a holy and wholesome thought to pray for the dead. They may be loose from the sins. Context of that is some uh, soldiers for Israel died in battle. They went to heaven, but first they had some sins that they did in battle that weren't okay. And so they needed to uh, have a little, you know, specifically the sin of carrying idols upon them as good luck charms. So they weren't fully trusting. The idols of Jamnia. Yes. They weren't fully trusting know what that is, in the, but... uh, the power and salvation of the Lord. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, the other part is Jesus talks about it because I know everyone always does the. Uh, but what did Jesus say? say? Yes. Yeah. So if you look at Luke 12, 41 through 48. Peter asked, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? And of course, God answers, or Jesus, but who is God, answers a question with a question because mm-hmm. that's the just what he does. does. Yeah. So the Lord answered, who is then faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food, or excuse me, food allowance at the proper time. It would be good for that servant to whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put in charge of all his possessions but suppose the servant says to himself, my master is taking a long time in coming. And then he begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come one day and when he does not expect, or when he does not expect him, and at an hour he's not aware of, I swear I read out loud normally, he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. Now the idea of cutting him to pieces, other translation is he's cut in two. Mm-hmm. And for back then, you know, we have some mar- medical marvels now. If you were cut in two, you were dead. There was no coming back from that one. Correct. It was just final. So the idea is that they're cut in two, they're in hell, they're dead, it's permanent. There's no saving grace at that point. Then it goes on, it says, The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. Now, you can be beaten with many blows, but you're not dead. It's not permanent. It's a temporary punishment. Mm -hmm. But he's not separated from the master, totally. 
He says, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. And there's also another verse to it. It talks about the servant who doesn't know the master's will or receive a light beating. Yeah. Invincible ignorance. Invincible ignorance. Yeah. So if someone really doesn't know what they were supposed to do, that's okay. It's they will basically suffer a lot less than someone like us who basically knows the faith. And we were mostly faithful, but we biffed along the way. A couple air balls. The closer you are to the truth, the more Mm -hmm. is expected of you. Well, the more, yeah, with great power comes great, great responsibility. responsibility. Yes. That's right. So I'll learn right. from scripture and Spider-Man. <laughs> I was going to use that one too. I was hoping. The, um, specifically the church's, you know, defined dogma on purgatory is very vague. And I think it was done purposefully because oh, we don't know a whole lot about it. Eyes not it. seen, ears not heard. Yeah. So the only, the only two things the church definitively says is that there is a purification doesn't even define what that purification is, whether it's a place or a state or, you know, a travel, you can mm-hmm. be on a bus, who knows, right? Purification and that we can pray to help those through their purification. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing the church says definitively. Yes. Um, and this is important because our Orthodox brothers and sisters are very firm that purgatory is not a place and that there is not literal fire. These are two big topics that uh, created this uh, um, ill will between the the two churches. Part of the rift. Um, Yes. And so the Catholic Church does not put the word place in its definition in order to kind of ease that uh, rift, that difference. Well, no. And even within uh, Reformation Christianity, Mm -hmm. you have an image of, you know, you've got to be washed in the blood. Okay. Well, yes, absolutely. You're saved by the blood of Christ. That process has got to change you. Yeah. And could that be a certain amount of atonement happens, especially when you're beyond, you're in the, the eschaton, right? You're outside of time and space. So yeah. th- that could be an instantaneous, and yet as change is painful, <laughs> it, it, it might not feel instantaneous to the one who's, who's being washed in the blood and, or walking and, through fire, so to and speak. Yeah. And that's what our one of our mystics, Maria Sima, says. A, she says, time in purgatory may not be how we experience time here and likely isn't. Yeah. Um, and one of the things she says is time could instead be intensity of experience. Well, before we jump into that, let me like jump that. into with uh, Father. Could you define? So we're talking about personal revelation today on the episode, yeah. and we want to define terms. So there's divine revelation, there's personal revelation. Can you break down both and what it means, and more importantly, what it doesn't mean for some of us? No, no, that's a great place to start because uh, I mean it's beautiful to have a catechism to say these are the things that are of the faith. We do have teaching on the afterlife, uh, just as you just find from, you know, scriptures. Jesus talks a lot about heaven. He talks a lot about hell. And he does even talk about final purgation. And even one of the, you know, the, the quotes that uh, we can go back to is, I love at the, the Sermon of the Mount, Matthew 5, right? Mm-hmm. Settle accounts on the way to mm-hmm. court, right? Because if you don't and you're found wanting... The judge will hand you over to the bailiff, and the bailiff will hand you over to the guard, and the guard's going to throw you into prison, and you're not going to get out until you pay the last penny. So most of Jesus' parables are heaven and hell, right? Mm -hmm. You know, five of the bridesmaids didn't keep their lamps trimmed and burning. Uh, The one guy didn't want to wear the wedding garment, got booted out. How many people get locked out? So many of Jesus' parables end up with somebody getting locked out. Yeah. With his wailing, gnashing of teeth, don't be that guy. Lazarus mm-hmm. and the rich man. Exactly. You're right. Very clearly in Lazarus and the rich man. But you're right. There are a couple places. Now, the terms aren't always there. And we have to realize that. I mean, even terms like Trinity, it's not in the not New in Testament. The Those mm-hmm. things are going to get defined later. So a lot of the terminology, if we're sola scriptura, and we're just looking, this has got to be perfectly defined in scripture. Like, no, no, the church got persecuted right. from 64 until 313 and, and in certain cases beyond. So a lot of this definition is 4th century, the compilation of the New Testament as we know it. So we have to define that you know public revelation only is in that era to the death of the last apostle. Right. And that's really John. So our last books of the New Testament are clearly John, the beloved disciple, because he's a kid. Mm-hmm. He lives the longest, and he's also in charge of the Blessed Mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's very important. So he has a long life, although he is certainly a confessor mm-hmm. because he gets you know sent to the Isle of Patmos and he suffers from those type of things. So that's dogma, and the church is very careful about defining this. Mm-hmm. If they put it at that level, this is part of the uh, the deposit of faith. 
So yes, that's very clear. But there's a whole bunch of stuff, and especially when we're dealing with speculative things and the afterlife, or this is what we got from, you know, a saint shows up and, you know, Joan of Arc, right? Mm-hmm. Here's Catherine of Alexandria talking to her. Well, that's great, but, you know, mm-hmm. she's not talking to the whole church. She's talking to you, kiddo, and, right. and that's great. And you're hearing it, and it's a holy person. And so they have a reputation. This isn't just... Uh, what I heard on Art Bell, you know, wild conspiracy theory speculation. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're hearing this through people who are holy, who are known for the holiness, but we have to put this in the count of private revelation that it is, we're not going to add it to the deposit of faith. It's not a bad thing to listen to it. It helps to know. Sometimes it fills in gaps of that, but we have to take it with a grain of salt because there's a lot of human, you know, uh, possibility of error in it mm. because it's coming to us from one source i mean scripture comes to us through myriad sources myriad authors myriad editors and it comes down through us as this whole conglomeration we're not mormons we don't get like oh well one, one person story. wrote yeah. this mm-hmm. thing and there's no way to verify it because the tablets went up to heaven no no i mean you look at scripture and i mean verified verified over and over all the these different sources mm-hmm. times places peoples all accumulated when we get to private revelation we are back to one source yeah we always have to have a little bit of, yeah, take that with a grain of salt. Because again, it could be the best intentions, but even in our own spiritual lives, it's hard to determine, is this really the voice of God talking mm-hmm. or is it my stomach? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so do you think a good way to sum it up is divine revelation is that's revealed to us by, by Christ and kind of ended in Christ's term with the apostles he set out. And then obviously the things, the dogmatics that we got from that were guided by the Holy Spirit with the church, which he set up. And then personal revelation is basically anything that comes outside of that after that. And it's, you can listen to it. You can, you can do what it asks, but you don't have to, you're not bound to it. You don't have to believe it. Even like not necessary for belief. We do that with Marian apparitions. Like a lot of devout Catholics take those seriously, but even the church says that while we are going to take it seriously, you're not actually required to follow what's and revealed in those. There's discernment with that. Because even when the Blessed Mother, I mean, as we're all watching the Ukraine and Russia right. thing and going, Fatima, 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 <laughs> uh, third secret, is Rome going to fall? You know, what's going to happen next? Is this going to play out? Uh, even with that, I mean, you have to take it with a grain of salt. I mean, that is a very public private revelation because the miracle of the sun, October 13th, 1917, right. was visible for like 32 miles. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness, that's as public as private revelation gets. But at the same time, the Blessed Mother says, okay, in the end, there will be an era of peace. But what are the, if we fail to pray enough for the conversion of Russia, all that is open-ended to the level of our conversion, to the level of our belief, and all those type of things. So yes, you know, secrets of Fatima, those type of things. Is it going to play out exactly that way? Meh. You know, the future is malleable depending on our level of, so you're right, you, you can't just take that as golden. Well, and the Blessed Mother said this is going to happen. It doesn't, she's not saying, it's absolutely, she's saying this could happen if, right. Right. if you don't convert, if you don't respond, if you don't do penance, uh, if you don't pray uh, for sinners, mm-hmm. all these things could be yours <laughs> and much more, right? <laughs> the this price is right, Bob. The price is right. Look behind door number three. Oh, no, <laughs> World War III. Um, no, not to make light of this. Is, it's uh, scary stuff, but mm-hmm. you're right. It, it requires discernment. It's uh, the future, you know, especially anything that's prophetic. It's not a must. Yeah. So, yeah, I would say as we dive into this, just know that, you know, it's really interesting. It's good stuff to know. But you as a Catholic are not required to obey. You're not required to follow it. Um, you're still, you know, held to the dogmatic teaching of the church and what's in the deposit of faith. But if you hit something, because I know a couple of points we're going to hit on, I know people are going to, oh, or other people are like, yes, crusade on this. Uh, so <laughs> ca- calm yourself. It all requires discernment. Yes. It is. And Rome isn't built in a day. Even when we recognize that our modern life is way out of spec. Right. <laughs> right? Let's face right. it. Our, our living of the faith is not what even Paul's saying, you know, to pray and fasting and vigils. Uh, uh, we don't do that anymore. Um, so we're, we're, we know we're out of spec. But we, again, we even have to be gracious with ourselves and our neighbors mm-hmm. as we try to get back into a more faithful living of the gospel, right. which we know we need to do. But let's be kind to each other and, and do it. I'm not going to lie. I'm banking on some of this not being true because if it does, I've got a long time in purgatory going, <laughs> which always makes me wonder, like, I wish our guardian angels were like lawyers. Like you're on up to ascend and just like, dude, what am I going to get? Third offense, 15 to 20 in purgatory. Like <laughs> can we knock it down to like, uh, I don't know, misdemeanor. If I do some indulgences now nah, you're playing in the head. Doesn't count that way. Oh crap. <laughs> but she's cute. Um, sorry. You're silly. I know. 
All we, right. we were talking before offline yes. before we recorded this, and I threw out Francis of Rome, and Francis mm. of Rome has a lot of visions. And again, it's her vision, it's her experience, and those things are often highly symbolic. Yeah. And uh, she threw out the idea of, you know, when somebody asked her, well, you know, what is the price for a mortal sin? And she says, you know, about seven years in purgatory. And I'm like, Oh my goodness! For most of us in our college years, we're going to be there for a while. Um, yeah, so a wow. lot of atonement required. Seven I just, years. Again, that seven is a number of heavenly mm-hmm. perfection. It's it's not a the perfect exact, number. It, it, in exactly. my head right now, I'm imagining the national debt counter going up. Yeah. It's like my years in purgatory. Just like <laughs> this oh, is be I broke another zero. Okay. <laughs> I have I have a lot of atonement. Yeah. Just, we'll talk about indulgences later. There's yeah, we'll talk about The nice thing is, I mean, the beauty is of it, and why we do talk about this, and it's a perfect time as in Lent. What a great time because we are making fasting, uh, we're making sacrifices, almsgiving, we're trying to um, pray, we're trying to change, we're trying to convert. What a beautiful! We're trying to avoid purgatory mm-hmm. and right. try to get other people out of it. A lot of our devotions are very helpful to this. So yes, we can fix our problems pennies on the dollar right. in right. this world, and that's the important. That's why it's, this is a great time at Lent. It's not just Phone in November, call. not just in November at All Souls and All Saints days, but at Lent price, is a great time the, yeah, to talk about this. The price is greatly inflated in purgatory, so you better get it now. Well, you know, <laughs> you're right. I mean, at the point you're sentenced, you're going to do the time for the crime. But right now, you can if you're you know in a bad relationship and and if you've got some you know horrible angry hatred you know unreconciled situation pick up the phone and call them fix it let's you know mm-hmm. you can fix these things you don't have to do 20 years in purgatory you know every irish catholic's like nah purgatory you know it's true <laughs> stubborn stubborn well, I think that is the beautiful thing about our time on earth is that this is where we make the choice i mean christ said i like what you yeah. said father about um choosing between one or the other. He talks a lot about heaven and hell, and that, that is the reality. Purgatory mm-hmm. is not a third option. Right. It's it's heaven, but not yet. And so there is that very clear choice we have to make. Uh, with every action, are we against Christ or are we for him? I mean, he said, "If whoever is not against me is for me, but whoever does not gather with me scatters. And like for a while I wrestled with that. I'm like, well, well then where's the middle ground? And then I realized there is no middle ground. You have to be one or the other. Right. And so heaven and hell really are the only options, but purgatory is is this meeting place of God's justice and mercy where we're allowed to atone for the, the ways where we, just in our human weakness, could not pursue him fully, where we're, we're picking up our cross, we're trying our best to follow him in his love. We're, we're pursuing heaven, but he knows our weakness and he knows that we fall. And so providing this option for us on the way to heaven is really an act of his mercy, but also um, a way for him to help us understand what justice is, that our actions yeah. do have consequences. Mm-hmm. And so knowing all that beforehand on earth when we can make the choice is really a gift to us to have this doctrine of purgatory where we can look at the future and what's going to be and use it to guide our actions in this world. Well, like what you said, uh, there's a, I mean, I always think back to scripture when God's carrying the cross, like he's Jesus. I mean, if he wants to, he can just literally have someone come lift the cross for him and take a stroll, but he stumbles. He allows himself to stumble. And I think it's so important because he's modeling for us how we're supposed to go and he knows we're going to stumble. So it gives us hope that like, okay, Jesus, why he didn't sin, still stumbled carrying his cross because he wanted to show us that it's okay. And he had someone come in and help and carry with him to show that we're supposed to be community. We're supposed to help each other. That yes, you are going to stumble, but you can get back up and keep going. You don't have to quit and walk off. And sometimes getting back up is having a friend help you. The other thing that popped in my head is uh, there's a these guys called the skit guys and they do Christian skits and hilarious. I really like them. There's one in, in God's chisel and he talks about like they're doing the chiseling, right. To get a more holy, to get a more, the image of Jesus and it's painful. And he talks about, well, can we take a break for a while? And he's like, well, no, you're either moving forward or moving backwards. He's like, no, 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 I'll stay right here. We've done good work and we're just going to take a break and you can go do your thing and then come back. And he goes, that's what you don't understand. There's no, the same thing. There's no middle. It's, you're moving forward or you're moving backwards. And if you're either moving towards me or you're moving away from me, there's never a middle ground. And so then they keep going through the process and, you know, the pain intensifies, but at the end they find healing and holiness. And so that's why I think eventually we're going to have to do a podcast on suffering because there's a lot of amazingness in suffering um, as much as there is the suck, as we would say. Mm-hmm. So, but with that, I'm actually going to throw it over to AJ. If you want to jump into this book. Well, did we do no. the third, uh, from we did not from luke no from uh oh corinthians Corinthians, first corinthians yeah let me pull that up and then just give a preface for the episode father john and anthony have read a book that sarah and i have not and so that's going to be the spring off point for some of this and go into this that and the other thing but that first corinthians 3 11 through 15 for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid which is jesus christ 
If anyone builds on this foundation using silver or gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, the work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Correct. And so this this verse specifically applies to those who have already been baptized, to those who are already in communion, because that's the foundation. That's what that refers to. And so then what are we doing? Well, we're building upon that foundation with what we do in this life. Are we building with straw that's going to burn? Or are we building with gold that can survive the test? It's like, you know, do we build on the sand or do you build on the rock? It's just, mm-hmm. it's another image of that. It's a beautiful image. Yeah. And so, I think, go ahead. And so, well, what I was going to say is this uh, fire is not, you know, the fire that we think of people suffering in hell because these people have that foundation of salvation. Mm-hmm. They're not, they're not earning their salvation through their works. That's not what the house is. The foundation is their salvation. And so the fire must be something else. And even wisdom chapter three, right? The souls of the hand, the souls of the just are in the hand of God and no torment shall touch them like gold tried in the fire and purified. What a beautiful image for the old Testament. One of the rare images of an old Testament that doesn't see some suffering as a punishment from God, Mm -hmm. but something that transforms us. What were you going to say, sir? I was just going to say, similar to what AJ said, that the the ending verse of that passage from Corinthians is they, they will be saved, but Mm -hmm. only as through fire. Yes. 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 Yeah, and, and that fire too. I mean, when you think about the fires of purgatory, it's the idea that it's stripping away that impurity, all that. Basically, you're attached to sin, so it's stripping that away through the flames, making you like gold, finishing basically off who we are to a perfect level. And that's a weird way to say it, but I lost my train as I was going through it. <laughs> uh, but guess this to the stage we need to get to heaven. There we go. That's what I was trying to go for. Yeah, I've right. heard it described as kind of a moral untwisting. Mm-hmm. So even if you have embraced Jesus as your savior and you have that salvation, there's a lot of you know, faults and flaws that you have where you have to be untwisted Mm -hmm. and sort of go against the grain, which is painful, which is why we often don't do it in this life. But now is actually much more efficacious than afterwards. Have we ever said, I'll never forgive that person? Oh, no. (laughs) Be afraid, be very afraid. That's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see how that plays out for him. Um, Well, uh, who was it? Uh, Oh, Theology of the Body guy. Uh, Christopher West had a really great way of putting it, and I've heard a couple others put it the same way is you're going to a banquet, right? Heaven's a banquet. And if you come in dirty and muddy, but still invited to the banquet, the guest is, of course, going to let you clean up. So what do you do? You go, you clean up, you change, you get a, you get appropriate for the occasion in which you're attending. So purgatory is that place where we get to clean up. It's not God being an angry monkey that, you know, you see him like family guy pointing at you. It's, hey, I want to get you ready for the most amazing thing you're ever going to experience. Let's go get you untwisted. Let's get you ready. Let's get you healed and whole. And then let's get you in with everybody else so you can experience the greatest joy for all eternity. Yeah. And so it's the, it's quite literally the washroom before the banquet. I mean, how many times have, you know, you all come over, use the bathroom and stuff before we get ready for the show. Mm-hmm. I clean drink up, do things. Coffee. Exactly. Drink yeah. some coffee, wash your hands, sit down, we eat, and then we get onto the show. Right. Same thing. I mean, it's a natural part of human behavior that we see that God then uses in the afterlife to get us into heaven. So or God's hospital, you know, yeah, that's image. if we have the Augustine Augustinian image of, you know, sin is our wound, mm-hmm. then we need the divine physician to heal us. So that wound is taken away because if we go into heaven, we can't sin again. I mean, you can't sin in the very presence of God. So that has to be eradicated from us. You can't like, Oh, I dropped something. And then I said a curse word and I blasted myself to perdition. <laughs> well, that'd be embarrassing. No, I mean, you, you, yeah. he's got to, you have to, all that has to be eradicated. And we think of how much we hold those habits in us. Mm-hmm. And the, the medieval hospitals are very interesting. Hospital comes from hospitality. And so it was like a hospitality center where if you couldn't find lodging anywhere else in the town, you could come here, which always meant that the lowest of the low, the poorest of the poor, the diseasest of the diseased were at the hospitality centers. And that attracted physicians, obviously, to try to help them who were mostly you know, Christians who wanted to help others. And so the hospital naturally grows from these, like the least desirable place in the village. <laughs> yeah. Which is a good image for purgatory as well. Yeah. It's not the most desirable place mm-hmm. to go on your heavenly journey, 
but Peace it's alternative. still a heavenly journey. It is. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, in our medieval, you know, Catholicism, we've, we've pictured it be like a lot of medieval punishment laws. And again, mm. if you've ever seen medieval, I mean, you stole a loaf of bread and you end up in the Iron Maiden. I mean, oh my goodness, you know, mm-hmm. well, life was severe yeah. in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, you're dealing with plagues and those type of things. I mean, medieval justice was brutal. And so sometimes yeah. that is the image used to it. And it's nice to counter this and say, I mean, no, no, God, this is mercy. This is healing. This is love. Um, Catherine of Genoa writes in the Purgatorio that her image of purgatory from what she gets in her mystical encounters with it is that this is something that not the souls enjoy, but they see this as necessary for them to get to heaven and the souls leap into purgatory. Mm-hmm. They leap. It is their desire because they recognize this is what will finally allow me to shine like the stars in the sky. That's right. And they mm-hmm. desire it and they yearn for it and they they want it and they are grateful that God, and I think, especially I think with the pandemic and now you know wars going on in Eastern Europe, people are going to die and they're not going to get the last sacrament. So they're not going to get prepared. Might they mm-hmm. die in violence and an act of hatred or bitterness? And thank the Lord that there's an opportunity to fix some of these things because yeah. you didn't get the time. Your life was taken away from you. A bomb dropped on your house. You didn't get to confession. It wasn't your fault. Praise God that, that there's a second opportunity for that. Right. Makes yeah, a world I of difference. I love that you mentioned right. the gratitude of souls. I think it would be remiss if we didn't mention Dante's Purgatorio at least mm-hmm. once in this episode. And Clearly. the medieval factor was there. There's a lot of harsh punishments within that. But absolutely, when reading that back in high school, what I really noticed was the hope that mm-hmm. all of these souls in Purgatory had, that in every circle that they're purifying these seven deadly sins, um, and the, the punishments really are pretty awful, but you, you see it and you're actually filled with hope and they're singing Marian antiphons and they're just spurring each mm-hmm. other on and they're so excited to get to and the, the entrance to the kingdom of heaven. Kind of yeah, it's a holy place. It's yeah. a very holy and hopeful place. All right, well with that, we're going to jump into the book. So we'll introduce this book first. Um, the title, Get Out of Here, or Get Us Out of Here, uh, written by this uh, nice reporter, Nikki Eltz, um, about... Uh, mystic Maria Sima. Uh, she was an Austrian mystic, lived in the mountains in a small community. Um, but starting at the age of 25, she started having these uh, souls from purgatory come to her. The first time one appeared, she had no idea what was happening. She thought there was a, some strange man who broke into her room. She tried to scare him away and he vanished into air. She was very confused. Um, good news about for her, she was also very devout and she ran straight to her priest and went, what's up with this? And he's like, oh, how very interesting. How about we pray for this person? <laughs> well, and she tried to talk to him a couple times too, didn't she? Well, she, she, she immediately stood up and she says, hey, who are you? Get out of here. Um, and the priest said, well, how about instead of saying that, we say, what can I do, do for, for you? you? Yeah. <laughs> Now, and we have to preface that, that she's not inviting this, she's not right. conjuring, this is not spiritualism, occultism, seances, any of that type of stuff. As a young girl, and again, sometimes we have that interior impulse to pray a prayer that doesn't even feel like it came from us, right. but mm-hmm. she had that interior impulse to pray that she would be able to serve the holy souls. And I yes. think the Blessed Mother took her up on that. Mm-hmm. And so for the last 60 years of her life, she daily got visits from purgatory and again unsolicited not looking mm-hmm. for this but i think the blessed mother just marked her as here's somebody who said she wanted to pray for you and so off you go we all have different vocations and the blessed mother chose her for that one wow and uh she, she did have a nosy neighbor at one point though didn't she uh she had a couple nosy neighbors some kids who tried to peek in um when she was staying at a, a friend's house someone was trying to listen in on the conversation See between if you can her. hear the soul talking yeah, to her. yeah and uh didn't didn't go well um no not for that particular person they're like i heard a voice as if from a deep dark cavern like calling out and it terrified me i love the one that again in a small country village you know that you end up drawing all that kind of attention and Mm -hmm. then you know the the bar folk start talking yeah and so that some of the local constables tried to like well we're gonna go over and he didn't get up to her door. It was sort of like, <laughs> got up to the walk. And there was a, a, almost like Mary of Egypt. She couldn't walk into the church. Suddenly, it was just like invisible force says, we can't 
get up the drive. So she didn't even know about it. Her neighbor said, you know, the constables tried to come. They, they just stopped they at your, they just stopped <laughs> at the end of the, the drive. And then they went back to the bar. So I'm like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, and I'll say too, there was a, there's also drank. a verification process. Yeah, they definitely drank after that one, I have a feeling. Yeah. <laughs> there's also the verification process too, where she had, what, the one bishop come in and like verify like what was going on and asked her to. Yeah. Much like um, the experience uh, in Mesoamerica with Our Lady of Guadalupe, yeah. the bishop said, okay, well, I'm going to need to know where this is coming from. Yeah. And so she asked the souls, how are you coming to me? Um, and they responded, we come through the permission of Lord Jesus Christ coming through the mother of mercy. Good answer. Yeah. And the bishop was like, hmm, that's above my pay grade. Yeah. <laughs> So what are what are some of the things people ask for? What are some of the things people reveal? Um, so for her, uh, a lot, you know, for the first 10 years of this experience, really the only thing she asked of the souls was, what do you need? What can I do for you? And they would, you know, give her something like, oh, I need 10 masses said for me, or I need my children to have 50 masses said for me, uh, so on and so forth. And they would just tell her, and then right afterward, they're gone. Because all that they were coming to her for was to get what they needed to help them through their purification process. Um, but then, after about that period of time, she'd ask them, and they'd tell her, and they didn't go away right away. Yeah, she said some went away immediately, and then some stayed around some, for a little bit. And yeah. if they stayed around, then it went all Q&A time. That's right. That's right. Um, and so she started asking some questions. Uh, and sometimes the souls would answer right away, and sometimes they'd come back later. A, no, a different soul would come back and answer the question she asked the previous one, um, which was fascinating to me. But a, a strange and interesting confirmation. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure how she got to the transition of people may, sending questions to her to ask. Well, you know, it's one of those things. The secret gets out. Right. You know, at, at some point, because the priest knows, and then yeah. in a small town, yeah. everybody knows their business. So but she didn't go into the details me. of that, but yeah, She doesn't go. You know it's going to happen. Like a yeah. small mm -hmm. town, this is not going to be kept secret after a while. This Somebody's going to get Austria? a prayer answer. Yeah. It's a little, yeah, town up in A little in the, tiny hamlet in the mountains. mountains. What it's time adorable. period? Uh, this interview is taking place about 30 years ago, 1991. Oh, okay, well. A series of interviews. Yeah, she passes away in 2004. Cool. So she's been dead almost 20 years. But yeah, the last 60 years of her life is these encounters that become daily. Yeah. So yeah, this gets out pretty quick. And then suddenly now people are writing her from all over and a mm -hmm. friend knows. It. You know, once you get like one request answered for you, then mm -hmm. somebody does and then this gets out. And then, you know, yeah, I can only imagine. Snowball. Yeah, but, the, you know, she had all sorts of questions asked of her. Uh, I mean, they go into, like, the entire book is written in a Q&A fashion. So there's... Which makes it very fun. And, you know, oh, topically, here's stuff on the Eucharist. Here's how to do a good confession. Here's, I mean, she's, everything. you name it. Yeah. It, it gets organized well by the interviewer. But, um, yeah. It's one of my favorite ones was like, oh, is there, uh, is there other planets with intelligent life? And she says, uh, well, the souls tell me that we're the first... So not right now. <laughs> <laughs> Number one, baby. You ain't first, you last. So uh, all those video games about the precursor aliens, we are the precursor aliens. Because <laughs> we need that ego boost. Right. There we go. We're dads. Let's favorite. hope we do a good job. Well, one I'll, I'll bring up, because some of us are going to need to do some serious indulgences later on, was there was a question about people in a purgatory for uh, screwing around at work or something. Um. Well, there's probably any number of things yeah. like that, you know, because yeah. you know, you're right, whatever you're being unfaithful to in your responsibilities, what you usually have to fix up. And I've even seen it with other things like, you know, St. Pio ran across one of the friars as a holy soul who's was a sacristan in life and mucked it up and didn't take right. good care of it. So his purgatory is he's lurking around the altar, scrubbing candlesticks, right. uh, you know, and polishing the brass and those type of things. So, yeah, those things. Yeah. A lot of life is to what you didn't complete, who you yeah. didn't forgive, where you didn't. Or the bad advice you gave. Mm -hmm. Like one of the priests told that young lady, no, you can't go to Mass once for yourself on Sunday and once in the afternoon for your mother. You can't go to Mass twice on Sunday. Um, and then later he appears to Maria and says, 
I need her to go to mass for all the masses that I told her not to go to. (laughs) (laughs) Oops. No pressure, Father, but I have some questions after this. I know. Well, you know, and again, in in that period of probably the 90s, it was probably about when John Paul II did clarify and said, you can go to mass twice a day. Right. You know? Um, So, yeah, it it is curious. It is. And so there's there's several stories like that where she has where, um, you know, once again, with great power comes great responsibility. Those who have a closer relationship with God, those who are exposed to more of the truth of God, have a more burden to live up to that truth. Pray and for your clergy. Those are the people she sees a lot of clergy, monks, sisters who are in purgatory who... Yeah, they have a great place in heaven waiting for them. They have a higher glory than some people, um, but they also have to work through a lot more to get to that place. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, greater exposure to truth is good. You become a higher level of heaven. You become a servant to more people in heaven because we all know that leaders in heaven are the greatest servants. That's how Christ likes to see it. Um, but also, you really got to live up to it. And you can spend... As she says, some souls are in purgatory until the end of time. Yeah. Until the last day. I'll see you guys when they call it a wrap. (laughs) Sarah's face just lit up for those who can't see it on the camera or listen to this on a podcast. Just got wide-eyed. And then I'd like to point out, she got wide-eyed and looked dead at me. (laughs) Like, oh my gosh. It's like, oh my gosh. Andy, I'll see you at the end of time. We'll, we'll miss you, Andy. I'm <laughs> like, thanks, Sarah. I just want you to know if I die first and go to purgatory, I'm so bugging you for things. <laughs> well, then I'll get out of purgatory for praying for you. For exactly. <laughs> See, it, it works out. Yeah, actually, can you talk about, I don't know, I was flipping through these indulgence packets that Father mm-hmm. Gordon gave us, but um, kind of the reciprocal nature of praying for the holy souls now and what graces, were there any questions on like what graces we merit for doing those good works now for them? Well, um, one of the graces is that when we pray for them, they can then pray for us. When they get to heaven. Oh, no. They oh, can, in, in purgatory, purgatory too. In purgatory. They can't pray for themselves in purgatory. Oh, I see. But they can pray for us. They are actually at a higher state of holiness than we are. And so their prayers are efficacious. And, as Maria likes to point out, yes, the saints' prayers are very efficacious. But the holy souls are desperate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Can you uh, define efficacious for us, Marie? Uh So efficacious um, simply is of greater um, efficiency, okay. so to speak. Yeah. No, this is fun. And and she has a couple strange stories that, yeah. I mean, it's not even just that they're praying for her, that sometimes, like, she's giving a a, a talk. I mean, at, at the end of her life, she's well enough known in the neighborhood that she'll do a parish mission, mm-hmm. and she'll talk about her encounters with the Holy Soul. So she's given these talks a number of times. And that uh, some of them have gotten a little weird, because she'll bring something up, and then again, somebody reacts against it, maybe because it's accusatory towards them. Right. You know, interiorly, mm-hmm. they don't want to hear what they just heard. And uh, she's had occasions where, and then, you know, a lovely woman stands up in the crowd and calms everybody down and gets everybody's attention. And nobody has seen her ever before in a small town. Nobody knows your name, (laughs) you know. Uh, And then, you know, nobody can find her afterwards. After the presentation, she's gone. Like, are they sometimes even showing up and taking care of business? Yeah. Or the times that uh, things that were lost are suddenly found. Yeah. Yeah. So I was not just St. Anthony. Right. So she mentioned, excuse me, indulgences. And I know some face just got triggered hearing that. Can we kind of go into what indulgences are, what they're not specifically? Yes, exactly. We all have the the whole pencil thing going on in our minds. How the, uh, I would say, shave off some time and maybe drop our sins down to a misdemeanor for us in the afterlife. I like that. That's a nice. Now, and again, it sometimes helps to read. Uh, We always have a manual of indulgences. Um, old school we would call it the enchiridion of indulgences or the recolta and uh so there's a couple of books and you, if you get the new manual of indulgences there's a very nice preface after the second vatican council and they kind of go through a little bit of the history in that that you know even with penances you know when we started having individual confession and probably more like the Irish monastics, you know, mm-hmm. things that happened in the seventh, eighth centuries, you know, sort of our modern form of individual confession, not public confession <laughs> and being a penitent, you know, like like in, in the early church. But, you know, you'd you'd be given a penance. Well, okay, well, you got to fast for 40 days to make up for this. Okay, well, and then they started doing spiritual equivalencies. 
So, okay, so you're going to say these prayers, but these prayers are equivalent of a 40-day fast. Right. So then there's equivalences. So you're going to see on older prayers, and especially older Catholic prayers, uh, it's going to say 300 days indulgence, 100 days indulgence, those type of things. And basically what it's saying is, I mean, because the spiritual always trumps the physical, mm -hmm. so that, that what we do spiritually, invoking the mercy of God, washing ourselves in the precious blood of Jesus Christ, spiritually inviting that to wash over us and to be renewed in the spirit. What, the prayers we're praying are probably more efficacious than the little bodily fasting and penances uh, that we're doing. Because again, you're dealing with the very self-offering of Christ, which is infinite. So uh, the spiritual always trumps the physical. So you'll see in certain prayers, again, it'll, it'll have a fasting equivalence to that. So indulgences, basically, as we're saying, these prayers are very efficacious for your conversion. And so the church is going to list certain devotions, certain practices that have made saints because you can you know look at the saints and look what they did. Oh well, they practice this devotion. They practice this um, praying the Stations of the Cross, uh, devotions to the Passion of Christ, etc. Certain prayers and, and uh, litanies and such. So those we have always recognized, and so we kind of collect that as these are prayers that we know are very efficacious for your conversion. However, again, in God's mercy, we can also offer that for those who have gone before us. And that's the whole point of it. Now, again, we use sometimes terms, again, the church tends not to use the, this is the 300 days indulgence, that uh, in kind of the modern post-Vatican II language, we've gotten away from that. We sort of simplify things into plenary and partial. And again, which is full credit or partial credit. And I think that's the simpler terms. Mm -hmm. Now, how often do we get full credit that, you know, in one devotion we have completed our purification, our atonement for every sin, every ill uh, thing of thought or deed? Mm, probably not. In fact, Once I remember a, a story yeah. of a saint. I can't remember if it was St. Francis or not. But he was, he was doing a mass for a plenary indulgence. And after the completion um, of the Eucharistic prayers, he was given a vision of the people who had received the indulgence in the church, and it was him and one old lady who sat One right old lady in the back. Um, everybody else had only gotten a partial out of it. Exactly. Yeah, because, you know, the usual conditions for, uh, as we look at, you know, conditions for indulgences, obviously the indulgence act, uh, making a good confession, receiving Holy Communion, praying for the intentions of the Holy Father. But we always have a detachment from sin. And, and that's the big thing. I mean, we sin, we confess the same things over and over again. We do the same things over and over again. We call it vice. It's a habit. It, we do it because we like it, and it's habitual to us. And until we have that level of detachment, we're not over it. Yeah. So part of the, the, the difference, to sum it up in the most simple terms, is has it really detached you from those sins? Do you have a deep hatred of sin now? Probably not. So for most of us, we're getting partial credit. But hey, partial credit is always way better than no, no credit. credit. Yes, we will take all the because conversion. Rome isn't built in a day, right? You know, a conversion takes a while. Oh, it can burn so, down and what? Yeah, I'm and, sure it smoldered for a few weeks. Yeah. In but, fact, um, until it takes I, a while. I think it was uh, uh, two thirteen. Mm -hmm. um, if you committed a mortal sin, you were excommunicated from the church until your deathbed in which you were then given confession. We're grateful for individual yeah. absolution. Yes. Exactly. It's a big improvement. The fact that you could come repeatedly to confession mm. didn't happen until 2.13. So. Yeah, it takes a while. A couple of comments, Father. I'm appreciating what you're saying, but how scriptural is this that the Lord is saying the spiritual is more efficacious than the physical? I mean, we just heard in the Lenten readings how, mm. is this the fasting that I wish that you afflict yourselves, that you do these things physically? Like, rather, I, I ask that you go and give your bread to the hungry and give your drink to the thirsty and clothe the naked and be a neighbor to those in need. Don't turn your back on your own. All these things we're talking about, healing, reconciliation, mm -hmm. and, and good works, um, spiritual works, spiritual works with a heart that has turned back to the Lord and, and the efficacy and the spiritual economy that the Lord assigns to those things. That really is what an indulgence is, is saying these things are efficacious for our souls for the future. Um, and also just as a priest in your, in your priestly capacity, the, the one of the conditions for indulgences is going to confession. So I'm, I'm curious if you, you know, when people come to you for confession, if you remind them like, hey, if you do this with the intention of an indulgence and then you offer them some options for like, hey, this is something you could do as a work for a plenary indulgence or a partial indulgence. Like, is it something you see in your ministry of confession? Oh, once in a while, absolutely. Because we have certain reparation devotions. And I would say the, the two that come most to mind that we run into every month 
our first Fridays, mm-hmm. which is a reparation to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, and then for Saturdays, which honor the Blessed Mother and all the things she gets slammed for. Mm-hmm. What do you mean perpetual virginity? You know, um, all sorts of horrible things get thrown at mm-hmm. her as well, unduly. She's our, our mother in faith. Be kind to her, right? You're not going to get on Jesus' good side by downing his mom. Just not going to happen. But so, right, those are kind of monthly devotions that to complete that devotion, right, you need to make almost a monthly confession. So you know when people come to that. So it's always good. They're like, hey, don't forget. You know, <laughs> kind of help them. Or if they're new to it and you're figuring it out, you know, right, give them a few clues. But um, this is something we've gotten away from. And, uh, and and truly, I mean, the doctrine probably needed reforming and the idea, because you're right, people have used that like, you know, again, indulgences being sold or, or treated like it's some sort of magic, you know, Bitcoin mm-hmm. uh, right. of the soul. It, it's, it's not like this. I mean, it, it is just things which should help you towards your own conversion. But we don't have a great grasp of our own interior life much less are we in a state of grace at the moment, much less how much conversion, you know, it's sort of like in science. Be humble. You don't know what you don't know. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. in, in any science, do you know 10% of all there is to know? Do you know 50% of all? You don't know until you run across something which is a cognitive minority to you. You know, some theory that's like, wow, that uh, I didn't expect that result. You know, you, you mm-hmm. don't know what you don't know. So uh, same thing in the spiritual life. We don't see ourselves clearly. So take all the partial credit you can every single day. And if it helps to pray for all those who have gone before you, well, all the more, how, mm-hmm. how wonderful. It keeps us honest. So one way I always um, thought of indulgences as opposed to, you know, the forgiveness and salvation we receive in Jesus' sacrifice. Um, so th- there's the guilt for having committed sin or for having um, violated the, the law of God. And then there's the evil that is thus released from it. Yeah. Right. Uh, I think of Pandora in her box, right? Mm-hmm. Opening the box. Lots of collateral damage. Bad oxen. But even if you close the box... Now the evil's out there. Yeah. You, it's hard to bring everything back in. It's hard to completely refill a cup of spilled milk. Yeah. Once you um, say something horrible about somebody, whether it's true or not, on the internet, right. it's there forever. Mm-hmm. As a father, once I forgive my daughter, it doesn't you know, belay the fact that now the fish is flopping on the ground dying. Right. Um, <laughs> so the evil's still there even when we receive the forgiveness, even when we have remission of the uh, guilt for the sin. And so the indulgences are that kind of our way of penance, right? A penitent work to try to clean up the mess. Um, and sometimes we can't do it on our own. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, and even just so we talk about, as you talk about scripture, I mean, there's a priority of the spiritual over the physical. And we're a church of martyrs. I mean, we, we lay our life down to follow Christ because the spirit, the resurrection, being mm-hmm. with Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, the bread of life, the way, the truth, and the life, far more important. But, you know, think of the parables, those three parables of the final judgment in Matthew 25, you know, and and especially the separation of the sheep and the goats, right? What we're getting is a whole lot of corporal works of mercy. Yeah. And that's brilliant. I mean, those are, these are ways to tone for, you know, for all the things we didn't do. And again, it's not just the sins we committed, it's the omissions. I could have cared for somebody, you know, but I didn't. Mm-hmm. I could have stopped yeah. and helped somebody with their problem, but I, and I did. The, the Good Samaritan, the three yeah. that passed by, yes. and then the one who, mind you, is from a culture Come that is, her. yeah, exactly against this other culture. Like in theory, they should not be friends. Yeah. But he picks them up. He takes them. He's like, "Look, here's the money. Whatever he needs, to take care of it. I'll come back yeah. and I'll pay for it to make sure that he's healed." And you can, you know, kind of reminds us of Christ of he's going to pay for a debt and whatever we need at the end. He's going to make sure that we're healed and that yeah. he uh, kind of covers the cost. But that person is still suffering through all of that, the kindness and healing. And but yeah, someone comes along and decides to pick up the thing. Yeah. Now I will say we only have about ten minutes left on the show, but two points I wanted to touch on real quick, and I didn't talk about this beforehand. I do oh, want to. Yes. I do want to offer Sarah one other thing for yes. spiritual superiority to material, and that this is one um, I discuss sometimes with people who uh, are wondering: Well, if someone's not baptized, are they absent? Absolutely unable to go to heaven. And the answer is the thief on the cross shows us that that's not right. Right. Mm -hmm. So Jesus spiritually says, I'm taking you with you into paradise, regardless of the fact that you haven't received baptism. Didn't even make a good confession. Right. Didn't make a great full (laughs) confession. You're just here dying and you, you're like, whatever you are, like, I believe in a little bit this way. Right. Um, That was enough. That was enough. And Maria has a great story of the young woman with the bucket. Right. 
She didn't, she wasn't a non-believer. She was never baptized, nothing like this. But one time in her life, this poor young woman, out of charity of her heart, cleaned up an old lady's house for Christmas without asking for anything. And that act of charity became the one thing she needed for salvation. Wow. Again, the Lord provides it. We call that prevenient grace, right? The right. Lord creates those opportunities that let me give you something. Mm-hmm. You let know? me give you a hook. Yeah. So, right. Again, it has to be some tangible sign, you know, faith and works. You, you want to see some tangible sign mm-hmm. of faith. That yeah. was a, t- a tangible sign of love and mercy and faith. And yeah, got her somewhere. Yeah. Clever. And then, and then of course the, we can do all these great acts, but if you have not love, mm-hmm. doesn't matter. Sorry. No, that's good. That topped anything I was about to talk about. So. <laughs> um, well, one example. Do you mind if I use something you told me about when your dad passed? No. Okay, cool. We didn't chat about this beforehand. So when AJ's dad passed, we all started praying for him. Uh, and I can't remember the exact prayer we were all saying. It was It's basically a prayer of mercy or something. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, if he was in purgatory, he would get out faster and things like that. At one point, one of our buddies was praying for him and actually, like, saw his dad, who then turned around and was praying for the friend who was praying for him. Yeah. And then you had a little bit of a vision, which we, we've touched on a few episodes where, and correct me if I'm wrong, your dad, you know, you were shocked that your dad was already out of heaven. He goes, well, what do you think the prayers for mercy or, or the God, you were talking to God. I'm sorry. God yeah. was talking to you and said, what do you think my prayers of mercy would go unheard or like they wouldn't be of value or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like, oh, he's like, yeah, you know, it was pointing out that if you pray for the mercy of someone, I'm going to act on it. They have intrinsic value. Yeah. They're not just words to say words. It's not just a show. And so it was a really great thing because, yeah, like our buddy said, it was weird. I was sitting there and then he was just praying for me all of a sudden. Um, so, I mean, it's it's kind of, you know, one of those personal revelation things. You don't have to believe if you don't want to. Um, but then the other part was you came in super motivated today. And I want to give you time to talk about the uh, faith and science match oh, together. Yeah. Coming off of your mention of science there. Um, one of the things Maria says that we kind of touched on a little bit earlier is, the idea of like time in purgatory is not how we think of it. Yeah, you're outside of time and outside space. Outside of time and space, all of this could happen within what we think of as an instant, but it's the intensity of the experience that matters. And on this topic of intensity, um, I was reading a little while ago, I love quantum mechanics. It's a very fascinating topic. Um, and there's this great doctor, Dr. Uh, Stuart Hammerhoff. He's an anesthesiologist at the University of Arizona, works for the Center for Consciousness Studies. Uh, anesthesiologist, and he has a psychology degree. So he's very fascinated in what consciousness is because his day job is turning it off and on for surgeries. Um, and so he got together with this uh, mathematician, Sir Roger Penrose, who was actually one of the people on the thesis committee for Stephen Hawking. Like he was Stephen Hawking's teacher. Um, and they came together and they developed one of the, you know, 20 so odd theories of quantum mechanics out there right now. But theirs is called the orchestrated quantum reduction hypothesis, um, which ties in consciousness with quantum phenomena in the brain. It's beautiful, beautiful. Um, but what he says is, you know, the brain operates at about 40 to 60 moments per second. That's what we perceive reality in these moments, right? So it's like, you know, you're running a movie, looks like it's a continuous thing, but it's actually just pictures being, you know, put across on a film. A problem in quantum mechanics, though, is when you get down to really small increments of time, much like purgatory, they become non-temporal. There's kind of a haziness to exactly what, moment you're talking about it's like it goes from digital to analog exactly and so time becomes continuous at these small increments um and it happens to be very close to where uh our consciousness is and if you go into a meditative state the amount of frames per second that you perceive actually can increase up to double you can go up to 80 some of these they're measuring in shaolin monks some of the experiences they were having were at like 80 hertz, right? Um, and that actually puts it into this continuous realm rather than a discrete or incremental realm. Uh, so the idea that when you're, maybe some of the saints who are in their ecstasies have the, made this transition to that more spiritual continuous realm. And Dr. Hammerhoff, is, he's, he's very um, humble in his theory. He's like, this is just an attempt to describe this phenomenon. I don't know if the brain is using quantum mechanics to generate consciousness, so a materialist worldview, or to tap into something greater. 
I can't answer that question. And I love his humility in that response. Well, and people have had that just that experience of my whole life flashed before my eyes. Mm -hmm. Well, in an instant, you just, yeah, you crammed a lot more into. Yeah, if you're having a, if you get down to that continuous, like there's time, there is no time. There is no time. You stepped outside of time. Yeah. I just keep thinking of Ant-Man when he goes in the quantum <laughs> physics and he's stuck there. I know, right? You can tell I'm not the smart one in the oh, podcast right, right now. <laughs> goes in and, you know, everyone gets snapped out of existence and then he pops out five years later, but he thinks he's only gone for, you know, a few minutes. He's That's like, right. well, where is everybody? That's right. You talk about that. I was like, yeah, I'm going Ant-Man. I've got nothing else to contribute <laughs> to that commentary. Super fascinating. Yeah. Very interesting. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, Dr. Hammerhoff and uh, Stephen Penrose. Very interesting theory. I like it. Now, what I'm going to do to wrap up the show, and uh, people wondering why I'm, I've been signaling that, is I have to go to a tasting for my wedding, and I don't want my fiance to shoot <laughs> me. Yeah. Boom. Do it. Talk about purgatory. She's getting out for marrying me. <laughs> Pretty sure it's just direct sainthood. Oh, you married him? Yeah, we've got a special VIP section. We are so sorry. <laughs> AJ's laughing because it's true. Uh, she actually talks about a couple levels of purgatory, doesn't she? And kind of what it's like. And I, I want to yeah. kind of end on like a description, you know, right. give people kind of a solid thing. Yeah. So the the interesting thing, um, she talks about there being three main kind of segments of mm-hmm. purgatory. St. Thomas Aquinas alludes to a three segment process of purgatory too. So it's funny that they agree on these things, uh, at least in a, in a roundabout way. But she talks about, there being the lower level of purgatory, which if you look in St. Thomas Aquinas' schematic of hell, would be that level of purgatory right above the abyss, where the flames of hell are kind of reaching across the It's great the span. warmest part. Yeah. It is the Theoretically, warmest part. The warm yes, center. For a metaphorical meaning of warm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but this third layer at the bottom, that's uh, what she says. These are souls who had a lot to work on. Yeah. Um, they had a great responsibility and failed it. Uh, and sins against love. And sins when against that's love. that's your greatest, you know, sins of unchastity, those type of things. Yes. Where it, this is your nature is the love. And when you follow it up, which is our entire world, by yeah. the way. Yeah. <laughs> Let's own it. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Make a reservation now. Exactly. And in this, she doesn't usually deal with souls in this layer. She experienced like one, I think, in her entire life. Yeah. Um, and it did not look like a human. It was something very alien, something very desperate looking. Yeah. She didn't know what to think of it. Um, but she says that the third layer, uh, and other saints have had experience with these souls, uh, other mystics too. And apparently in this layer, you know, the demons can still kind of attack you. Mm-hmm. The fire of hell can still kind of burn you, but it's temporary. You work your way. Out just like you do in all layers of purgatory. Which as soon as you said the demons can still get you, I know every service member ever is like third layered. Now I want to fist fight a demon. <laughs> I hear actually after all the sharp complaints, the Navy and the Marines aren't allowed down there anymore. Oh, that'd be horrible. Uh, no. uh, so many people aren't going to understand that comment. Yeah. And St. Thomas Aquinas in his three mm-hmm. segments of purgatory says that lowest level is that area where it's the area of the beginning to confront your pride. Mm. Because... When you are, when your ego is large enough, you're going to say, I'm not wrong. And you have to get over that before you can get to the second layer and start working toward God. Actually, I find relevant comment. Uh, Job, I was just going over Job with a friend to help him understand. And one of the things God talks about is he put suffering on Job to prevent him from being prideful. Mm -hmm. So the suffering came in and it was through the suffering that he got additional grace. And of course, God uh, recompensed for everything that had been taken from him. But it's funny that, God very much makes a point of Job goes through all of that because God wants to prevent him from pride because of how bad pride is. And so it's so bad that if, you know, these, the capital sin for a reason, and this ends up being true, which I mean, you've got multiple saints confirming it. You end up in the worst level of purgatory, literally getting touched by demons being the hottest area possible just for pride alone. Yeah. And having to be broken of your pride and being in, in not being able to say, this is wrong in humility. And that's, mm-hmm. that's the biggest thing. Because yeah. when you assign yourself to purgatory, as she says, we do, because we see heaven and we're like, oh no, I need to clean up. Mm-hmm. Um, that if you have so much pride in what you have done, you, you need to learn to get over the pride first. That's where you go. Second layer is for actually working on the sins you've committed. Mm-hmm. And then the first layer is those who are approaching theosis, as our Orthodox colleagues would say. Um, Those who now having worked off their pride and having worked through the debt of their sins 
are waiting for their final penitence. And although, I mean, again, this is we're very speculative. This right. is not the dogma part of it. But even think about in mystical theology, just for our own Christian spiritual life, we talk about it in three stages. Yeah. And the first one is the purgative. Get rid of your mortal sins. Anything mm-hmm. that's going to damn you, that's job one. Yeah. Purgative. And then the illuminative. Now right. grow understanding mm-hmm. that. And then the final stage is your contemplative, your unitive stage, where you really mm-hmm. are in a perpetual union with God um, because you have learned, as Paul says, to pray always. Even, yeah. you know, just to have mm-hmm. that awareness of the presence of God, or as Brother Lawrence of the Resurrection would say, practicing the presence of God. And have you heard eternally. of the, the Orthodox idea, I think it's like they call it the, the Anil Toll Houses? Oh, that might be a good Father Michael question on okay. that one. I don't know if I read that um, much as on that. So it, the, the Orthodox idea that, and this sounds to me like a third layer purgatory mm-hmm. thing, where you have to go through a succession of toll houses about your sins, Ooh. And there's demons there, and they try to tempt you not to want your forgiveness or to further engage in the sin at these toll houses. And so you have to resist that temptation and work through your pride to get through the gate. Is headbutting them frowned upon? <laughs> now I'm going to look at toll house cookies in a whole other way. It is. Demon be gone. Why does father keep grabbing cookies from the old ladies and screaming, Satan, get behind me? Is this toll house? Not today, Satan. Wow. He just like suplex Miss Sue. Wow. Okay. Make sure those cookies are on, on point. I found, that, I found that very fascinating. That's awesome. Yeah. That's nice. All right. Well, my humor is starting to get out of control. So, uh, and, I'm pushing the boundaries of being late. Sounds good. Okay. So we are going to wrap up, but thank you all for being on the show today. Uh, we have started recording again, so you'll start actually seeing some postings and things once a month. And uh, we'll not, and if you're like, well, you didn't cover this on Purgatory, there's a lot of the episodes we have not covered a lot of things on. So good news about the Catholic faith is we could probably do an infinite amount of episodes on just yeah. the Trinity and heaven and hell alone. So we'll be circling back at some point. But if you want more information on Purgatory, pick up this book, get us out of here. Which is and, ironic. Uh, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Get us out of here. here. And uh, don't forget Divine Mercy Sunday. So when we're forget, talking about yes, embracing right. the greatest attribute of mm-hmm. God, the mercy of God, and mm-hmm. how the, that simple uh, oh. conclusion to the act of a mercy, confess your sins. Re- I mean, it, it isn't even the, all the conditions of indulgence. It's just, let, let's wipe right. the slate clean. Based confess on high school it. alone, I'm going to aggressively cuddle Divine Mercy Sundays. Sorry, Mom. Every year, every year. Also, St. Faustina, mm-hmm. St. Padre Pio, St. Was Emma Gemma? Um, oh, Galgani. Yeah, Galgani. Yeah, all of these folks have some purgatorial experiences that we can read about, learn about. Francis of Rome. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. discern upon. All right. Well, that. Thank you all, Sarah. Any last thoughts? No, thanks, Andy. All right. Well, we'll see you later. <laughs>